This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Moving past the thumbs down story, the Mets had a pair of games to win on Tuesday against the Marlins. Win them both, you're back in the race. Lose them both, you're certainly not. If you split, you're right back where you started. The verdict? In the words of Siskel and Ebert from a long time ago, two thumbs up. I actually preferred the Damon Wayans and David Allen Greer version of that when they did that on Men on Film back in the 90s. But sure, I'll go deeper back than that for some old school Siskel and Ebert. Rave reviews for a nine-hour stretch that may have saved the season. Mets in the morning. Mets in the morning. Oh, yeah. Mets in the morning. Gonna tell you what the Mets are doing while coffee is brewing now. Here's Josh Lewin, a scoodily down. Ah, the Mets never disappoint when it comes to unlikely storylines. And as August came to a close, they came up with something that made Rat or Raccoon look like a documentary about a cardboard factory. There was an epic comeback win in Game 1, a 3-1 to win in Game 2, and just like that, your New York Mets are back to within two games of 500. Josh Lewin with you, and yes, first we will tackle the fallout from Thumbs Down Gate. May as well get that out of the way, then we'll review the games, play some highlights, and hear from some players a day where it quickly went from funeral to festival. So, before the day-night double dip at City Field, the reckoning. Team meeting, kept private, while Javi Baez certainly could have handled all of this better. His Thumbs Down thing was never an actual scandal. It's really pretty simple. Fans want the players to perform well. Players want to be cheered. Both sides are kind of in it together. And as Steve Cohen told the New York Post, these are young guys. Sometimes we forget they are on a public stage and they can make mistakes. They did hit the third rail, though, is what the owner said by messing with fans, and it's unacceptable. Hopefully it's a teaching moment and they will learn from this. You want to rant against the fans coming from another former Cub besides Baez? Some of you are too young to have heard the Lee Elia rant. So you're about to, just for a little bit. The bleeped version, because some of you have kids in the car, and I respect that. Lee Elia was the Cubs manager in 1983. And he was asked about his players getting booed and what he would tell the Cub fans that were doing the booing. Now this is better than a passive-aggressive hand gesture, in my opinion. All these so-called f***ing fans that come out here and say they're Cub fans that are supposed to be behind you, rip at every f***ing thing you do. I'll tell you one f***ing thing. I hope we get f***ing hotter than just to stuff it up than 3,000 f***ing people that show up every f***ing day. Because if they're the real Chicago f***ing fans, they can kiss my f***ing right downtown and print it. My f***ing What the f*** am I supposed to do? Go out there and let my f***ing players get destroyed every day and be quiet about it for the f***ing nickel-dime people to show up? The f***ers don't even work. That's why they're out of the game. They want to go out and get a f***ing job and find out what it's like to go out there and earn a f***ing living. 85% of the world's working. The other 15 come out here. Ah, the sounds of summer falling softly 
upon the ears. All right. Lindor and Baez both apologized on the field through reporters before the game. Then they each went into the clubhouse about an hour before the first game. They both took to Twitter. Lindor tweeting, sorry to those I offended and the ones I didn't. Thank you for understanding. Two minutes later from at Javi23 Baez, fans, we just need to stay together. We want to win too. El Mago gonna be El Mago. So those are kind of apologies. I mean, whatever they are, at least it was an acknowledgement that the thumbs down thing probably should have stayed in the house. And maybe now the new players realize booing is a thing in both Queens and the Bronx. Personally, I never really understood fans booing their own, unless the players didn't run out of ground ball or something. But now the air has been cleared. We can all move on and get to the actual ball games for the love of all that is holy. Jeez. But for the final word on the in-house meeting held before the day game, here is Luis Rojas. Yeah, we had we had a team meeting uh, earlier today, uh, but you know, as far as who spoke and what was the message and how long it was, like all that, all that, we'd rather keep that in house. But we we did have a message to address some of the things that uh, happened uh, a couple of days ago, and uh, and you know to do some things right and move forward, right? Focusing game, we have two games to play today. That's the most important thing right now. And just in case you wanted to hear from Baez himself, here's what he had to say. I didn't mean to offend anybody. This is something that that I've done in the past against the other team. Um, I did it in LA to the to the to the dugout. It's it's not like like I I, I might say something wrong about I was booing the fans, and and I really meant like to like boo me now, like and not to the fans to to a dugout because I I done it I done it with the other team against against other teams, but like I never seen it. The same, like the, the same fans, and like I, I didn't say the fans are bad. Like I love the fans, but like <clears throat> I just felt like we were alone. Like like the fans obviously wants wants to win, and, and like they pay our salary, like like everybody says. But like we want to win too. Like and the frustration got to us, and you know I didn't mean to, to offend anybody. And if I offend anybody, you know we, we apologize, and it, I, I won't I won't lose anything with that, you know. And like we just try to move forward and leave this in the past. Look, modern-day players are different dudes. Social media has given them their own view of what the world is. The closed clubhouses with no media, the lack of direct access to the fans the last couple of years, those things have served to isolate them. And if you kind of go big picture, group dynamics can become very interesting, very Lord of the Flies, very us against the world. Hopefully everyone now begins to realize we are indeed all in this together. And really big picture is in society. That is certainly the hope as well. All right, there, done. On to the next weird crisis sure to arrive next week. Meantime, Tuesday afternoon, the continuation of a suspended game from April against the Marlins. And keep in mind, the Mets haven't won a series against a team other than Washington since the Toronto series July 23rd through 25th. Keep in mind, since August 10th, when Zach Scott called the team's recent play unacceptably bad, the Mets were 7-12. and and since the owner criticized the hitters via Twitter, the Mets were 4-7 and seven, and averaging 3.4 runs a game. Maybe this time, some flames were fanned correctly after the thumbs-down affair. Taiwan Walker relieving Marcus Stroman technically in the suspended game. A battle of two teams, the Mets and Miami, who are 27th and 29th in runs scored. 26th and 28th in home runs, 27th and 29th in slugging percentage, but they are 8th and 11th in ERA, so we expected one of those low-scoring 2-1, to 3-2 to dealios that have seemed to be staples of the season. Top of the second, Miami gets on the board first, 
twice running on Dom Smith in left field. A conveyor belt of singles making it two to nothing. Crazy lineup card in this one. Patrick Mazika, who made his big league debut May 5th, is playing in the game of April 11th. And the game kind of slogged along nearly four hours into the bottom of the ninth inning. Miami had built a 5-1 lead. Miami's hitters, by the way, second in strikeouts, 30th in walks in the majors. That's the team Javi Baez would fit on, right? Javi, in his last 162 games, 23 walks, 222 strikeouts. Wow. The Marlins starter, Eliezer Hernandez, was terrific. But once their bullpen took over, the Mets started waking up. Mets were down 5-1 into the bottom of the ninth. But then behold, Brandon Nimmo, a two-run home run, and the Mets are back in business. 5-3, courtesy of a guy who would never throw thumbs down at anyone. No one gives up or gives off the, the happy, hey, hey, it's okay vibe like Nimmo does. You could hit him with a truck, and he'd bounce up and give thanks it hadn't been a bigger truck. That is Brandon Nimmo. Just his fifth home run of the year got the Mets to within two. So, bases clear, one out. Richard Blyer on a pitch for Miami. Lindor lines to right, and it's not looking good. One out left to get. But Dom Smith, an infield single? Yes, Dom Smith, an infield single, which sets up the polar bear who whacks a double to left. Mets holding Smith wisely since you don't want the game to end at home plate. Dylan Floro brought on for Blyer, and he's going to face Javier Baez, the man of the hour in every possible way. Ground ball to the left side. He legs it out as an infield hit. Run comes home. Met still alive. This guy's got speed. We like that. So, no, it wasn't a walk-off home run. Not a storybook finish for Baez, at least not yet. That infield hit, though, got it to Conforto. And it had been a very frustrating day and a very frustrating season for Michael Conforto. He smashed his bat after a pop-out in the seventh. Two for his last 27. Although we should point out... One of those two hits was a game-winning three-run pinch hit home run that we speculated over the weekend may just save the season. So what about here? On this day of all days, let's bring on the great Howie Rhodes. Baez, the winning run at first. First pitch. Swing and a ground ball. Base hit going into left field. The Mets have tied it. Alonso scores. Digging for third is Baez. The ball is bubbled. Baez coming around third. Alfaro short of the plate. The slide. The ball gets away. The Mets win. The Mets win. Put it in the box. The Mets come back from trailing 5-1 to one in the ninth inning. A single and an error in left field has won the game for the Mets. Michael Conforto gets the hit. They are pounding him as he had rounded second base. They're going to virtually undress him between second and third as they will yank the shirt off of his back. Javier Baez had the hit that made it a one-run game and then after Alonso would score the tying run on that hit and Alfaro, remember a catcher by trade in left field, bobbled that ball. Baez flew around third and scored as the throw was not handled by Jackson and the Mets have won the ball game 6-5. to five. Howie, we're going to miss you the rest of the year, brother. Howie's last game of 2021 would be later on this evening here. And uh, that right there was a perfect example of how lucky Mets fans are to have Howie Rose. A fun call, a brilliant call, a 6-5 to five comeback win. And the vilified, villainous newcomer, Javi Baez, a head-first slide to win the game. Zoom in on that head-first slide. It appears that his hands glide across the plate and why that's two thumbs up, it looks like. Hmm. 
As Baez tweeted before the game, El Mago, gonna be El Mago. The magician, El Mago. And to paraphrase the 1980 Mets marketing slogan, the magic is back. Lost his earring on that slide, unfortunately. The grounds crew and Sandy Alderson spent 15 minutes looking for it after the game was over. And hey, sidebar on that. That's what good, stern, but caring parenting is, right? I mean, Sandy called out Baez for acting immaturely, but then showed he really does love him, too. Tried to find the man's earring. I won't turn this into a Hallmark movie, but hey. Uh, meantime, five runs in the ninth, really? The Mets hadn't had a ninth inning like that to win a game since 2007. After being flat as a row of corn in Kansas for eight long innings, that final inning was a Pike's Peak of glorious excitement. And after the 6-5 win, Michael Conforto met the media. Um, well, I mean, I, I think we got to keep winning. You know, winning, winning is, is all we want. Uh, winning is all the fans want. Um, you know, we're, we're all pulling the same direction here. Um, you know, so I don't know what one game does, um, you know, but I can tell you that, you know, the guys wanted to win this one, um, you know, about as badly as, as any other game that, that, that we've played. And, um, you know, I don't know, in short, I, I think winning cures everything and, and, and we're focused on winning, uh, you know, this second one today. 6-5 Mets the final to prove a point as the fans went bananas. If you win in this town, you get cheered in this town. It really is just that simple. And by the way, let the record reflect, Baez scored a run for both the Cubs and the Mets somehow on April 11th, since this game officially counts as having been played on that date. We need Doc Brown's time machine and a DeLorean for all this, but technically the Mets won a game in April on the last day of August, to set themselves up potentially for October. And now, your brain has melted. Let's get clean up on aisle five for your brains as we segue to what happened in the regularly scheduled game, which was cut down to seven innings because modern-day Major League Baseball rules about doubleheaders are just bizarre. But first, that uh, five-run rally in the ninth that we just talked about to walk one off, the last one was May 17th of 07 against the Cubs. Kind of hate to bring up 07. But in front of 42,667 at Shea. In that one, a bases-loaded walk to Andy Chavez, an RBI single by Ruben Gotai, an RBI single by David Wright, then the game-winning single from Carlos Delgado. And the final of that one, also 6-5. to five. <laughs> All right, game two. Veteran Trevor Williams, the really good under-the-radar pickup for the rotation, brought in from Chicago with Javi Baez. No cool nickname like El Mago, though he does have a, a cool ERA as a Met now after what happened in this game. Let's just say it's just a shade below 0.70, and it's really nice. No jewelry on Trevor Williams for which to launch a treasure hunt. He's just a cool dude who kept the Marlins scoreless through four innings. The Mets, meantime, trying to figure out the young fireballer from Miami, Edward Cabrera, with outstanding stuff. And this Marlins rotation is going to be real trouble for the next several years, but in the bottom of the inning, the newfound Mets mojo kicked into gear. Jonathan VR, single to center. How good has he been? 333 batting average with six home runs in his last 23 games. Next up, Brandon Nimmo. Infield single, but VR out at third trying to advance. That is the good and the bad of VR. He seems to make an out on the bases every week. Pete Alonso strikes out swinging, so now two out. And the guy who had spiked his bat in frustration just a couple hours before. We are now a believer in the one-time Oregon State Beaver. One ball, no strikes on Conforto. Pitch. 
That's driven in the air. That's deep to right field. That ball is long gone into the Coca-Cola corner, and it got out in a hurry. Michael Conforto rips a two-run homer, and maybe that big base hit that he had earlier today to win the game will turn things around in the final month for Conforto. He blasts a home run. The Mets have a 2-0 lead, and Michael Conforto has his 10th homer of the year. Wayne Randazzo with the call on WCBS, 435 feet. But wait, there's more. Everyone's new favorite Met, Javier Baez, a single to center, and a double by McNeil to cash in Baez, who is racing around third like a Ferrari. And this time, no jewelry lost, crossing home plate, 3-0 New York. Marlins get one back in the top of the fifth. They're threatening for much more. Bases loaded, one man out. And the rescue ranger comes out of the bullpen. The amazing Aaron Loop, who owns a 0.55 ERA in his last 37 appearances for the year at City Field, a 0.72. He makes a heck of a stab of a comebacker back his way. Calmly throws home for one. Then it's whipped on at first to capture Isan Diaz. Crisis averted. It stays 3-1. Seven-inning game here, remember. So with six outs left to get now, it is Seth Lugo time. And we may have a little interview with Seth to run for you one of these days. Terrific guy having a decent season. 1.1 ERA his last 16 appearances. 17 strikeouts, 3 walks in that time. But he's greeted by a Lewis Brinson single. What is that guy hitting against the Mets this year? Like 850? The Marlins get runners in scoring position with one out. But then Lugo strikes out Sandy Leon. And after an 8-pitch battle with Magnaris Sierra, strikes him out with a nasty curveball. So the seventh and potential final inning, sound the trumpets for Edwin Diaz. And speaking of trumpets, it was Jazz Chisholm who came up as the potential last batter of this very long day. And freight train got the better of coal train. Let's put it that way. A strikeout at 101 miles an hour. Ball game. Three runs, seven hits, one error for the Mets. One five and one for Miami. So there you have it. Two wins in one day. After the game, a couple of outfielders got on the Zoom. Brandon Nimmo and Michael Conforto. Hey, Brandon, you know, we, we talked to Michael after the first game about this, but just given given what's gone on here in the last couple of days, how big of a day was this for this team to to get these two wins and especially winning the way you guys did in the first one? Yeah, um, you know, I think we did a great job of carrying over the momentum from the first game into the second, even with the, the gap that was there. And, uh, you know, I was really proud of these guys because, uh, yeah, with, with all the negative uh, stuff going on around, could have definitely rolled over and just given up. But uh, everybody pitched in and, and everybody showed up today and, and did their part. And I uh, was really, really proud of the way that we came back in that first game. And then to be able to carry that energy into the into the second game and obviously Mike with another really huge hit. Um you know, capped it off, and uh, and then obviously our pitching does what our pitching does. So, um, you know, it's it was it was a great day, um, something to really uh, move forward and and uh, and try and you know bounce off of, be able to kind of get this as momentum heading into the rest of the season and what's what's left of it. Next up is Anthony Decoma. Hey guys, I've actually got one for each of you. Uh, for Michael first, um, you know, you've had a couple stretches this season where it looks like you're about to really catch fire and it hasn't really happened on a longer term basis. So does this one feel different in terms of your ability to maybe get hot for the rest of the season here and, and you know, do the types of things you've done in the past? Um, 
You know, I, I mean, I, I feel like I'm less focused on, you know, a sustained, you know, uh, stretch of, of being hot and more focused on being ready to hit every single pitch that, you know, is thrown to me. Um, and that seems to, you know, allow my natural, natural ability to come out um, and, you know, shrinks my zone a bit and, you know, in some weird way, um, you know, I, it just allows me to react and, uh, you know, not think about mechanics, not think about, um, you know, some other stuff that's going on, um, you know, just to, to simplify it and try to be ready for every, every single pitch and, and, you know, kind of judge my bats based on that. Um, you know, I may have gotten out, but was I ready to, to hit every single pitch and, you know, try to, try to look at it through that lens. Um, that I think has helped me, um, you know, earlier in the season, you know, you may have gotten a different answer, um, you know, maybe looking for, you know, that, that one moment to click. But um, at this point, you know, I'm just trying to do what I can to, to put quality at bats together and help the team win. Different vibe now, eh? What a difference a day makes. The Mets scored in only three different innings Tuesday, but somehow won two games. And with that, the patient has a pulse, my friend. Now, tonight, there is no game. Already postponed because of the remnants of Irma crawling north towards the tri-state area. That game rescheduled as part of a single admission doubleheader September 28th at 4.10 p.m. That's a Tuesday, by the way. But hopefully all will be well for tomorrow. And a friendly reminder, you're urged to take the train to the games this week. The U.S. Open underway. Fans encouraged to take mass transit or ride share. That would be good for everybody. Rain or shine, we will have podcasts for you Monday through Friday all the time. Because as Lee Ilias said, 85% of the world is working. The other 15% are doing podcasts. Don't forget, you can subscribe to this thing. Tell your friends that, that we live so that they can enjoy it too. And wherever you get your podcast, leave us a nice review. We appreciate that. I hear the music playing. We got to be going. So let's introduce the wonderful and talented Mets in the Morning House Band on keyboards. Anderson Hernandez. Slapping to bass is Mike Vale. The horn section. Hello, Ed Lynch. And on drums, ladies and gentlemen, Norichka Aoki. This is Josh Lewin. Stay out of the rain if you can today. Howie, get well soon. Hey, we'll have more for you tomorrow. Mets win twice. All is well.